Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation issues from all across the globe. Summer is often cited as a favorite season, what with long days and favorable weather for outdoor adventures. Living in Montana, however, summer has gotten shortened by a new worrisome season, fire. Months of smoke-filled skies, waking up to a layer of particulate matter covering everything, and a worry that seeps into every cell of my being makes it easily my least favorite time of the year. When the impacts of climate change are at my doorstep, the need to get nature on a better trajectory becomes urgent. Rather than utilizing great scientific minds to argue over whether what we are all experiencing and increasingly devastating examples is indeed reality, I've long been a proponent of developing solutions to strengthen ecosystems. This starts scientists, land managers, and advocates working together. I spoke with Jeff Burrell, the recently retired Northern Rockies Program Director for the Wildlife Conservation Society, about the role of science and the long-term preservation of the greater Yellowstone ecosystem in light of climate change. He beautifully articulates why using the best available science to choose how and where on-the-ground efforts are most effective has the greatest capacity to build climate change resilience at a landscape scale. I'm Jeff Burrell. I'm the Northern Rockies Program Director for the Wildlife Conservation Society. I live here in Bozeman, Montana. Tell me about the Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem. What it is, why it's important, what's what's so amazing about it? The Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem is one of the largest intact temperate systems left globally. it is a uh, globally iconic landscape. I mean, it is Yellowstone National Park is known globally. It is a model for how you do national parks. It was the first national park, and that idea has, uh, has traveled around the, the world, and now many, many parks are based on that model of, of what Yellowstone is. Uh, the idea of a, a greater Yellowstone came mainly from wildlife science, uh, that we were seeing that uh, as great as Yellowstone National Park is, that it can't by itself conserve grizzly bears or other species that we see as those iconic species in, in Yellowstone of bison or elk or moose or pronghorn. Uh, we need to take a, a larger look because the wildlife were saying we need more area, we need more space. And that has driven the idea of a greater Yellowstone system that's, the boundary is not defined by uh, people, it's defined by the the wildlife and the, the natural systems that, that depend on that. And so uh, they tell us that they need more area, they need more habitat diversity. Uh, we extend those boundaries to encompass those areas. And uh, one of the reasons that what started off for Wildlife Conservation Society is the Greater Yellowstone Program evolved into what we now first the Northern Rockies Program because the wildlife was telling us that as important as Greater Yellowstone is and as big as it is, it's uh, something like 28 million acres, it's too small. We need to connect it to the rest of the Northern Rockies. And uh, small areas, relatively small areas like the Madison Valley, provide one of those key connections between Greater Yellowstone and the rest of the Northern Rockies. Can you tell me about that connection and the importance of that connection? Sure. Um, Species that we worked on for, for, for many decades and a priority species for us, wolverines. Uh, there are likely less than 100 wolverines in Greater Yellowstone. That's not a, a, a viable population. The only reason that population is there is because historically it was connected to other populations in the Northern Rockies. 
uh, in the central Idaho area, in the Crown of the Continent area, but by Glacier, and in the further north into Canada. Without the connections between Greater Yellowstone and the rest of the Northern Rockies, we won't be able to conserve wolverines in Greater Yellowstone. And therefore, our program for wolverine conservation must extend to the extent that they need. And that encompasses all of the Northern Rockies, up through uh, uh, the U.S. Rockies, the Northern Rockies, all the way into, into Canada. And those connections, because of the way wolverines live uh, and because of the geography of this region, we have mountain chains that are separated by valleys, Madison Valley being a classic example of that. If they can't get across the Madison Valley, then we can't connect them between Great Yellowstone and the rest of the Northern Rockies. So small parts of the Madison Valley have an importance that far outweighs that area uh, because it is a key connection between Great Yellowstone and the rest of the Northern Rockies. If we lose those connections, either because of what humans do in the landscape or climate change degrading the habitats uh, in those connections, then we break that connection. And if we break that connection, then we don't conserve wolverines. The same story for grizzly bears, the same story for cutthroat trout, the same story for elk. Uh, those small areas that form these connections are vital to this much, much larger landscape. Uh, in, the, in context, uh, the Madison Valley is a very important part of Greater Yellowstone and the Northern Rockies. It's, for, for many reasons, it's a fantastic uh, uh, ungulate winter range for elk, for pronghorn, mule deer, uh, the mountains surrounding it are, are uh, important ha provide important habitats for grizzly bears, for, uh, for wolverines, for cutthroat trout. Uh, through our analyses, and this is uh, about a decade of, of on-the-ground work and followed up by different types of analyses, uh, looking at uh, the data in different ways, uh, we have identified both the importance of the Madison Valley and, and the connection that the Madison Valley provides between Great Yellowstone and the rest of the Northern Rockies, but in particular looking at the importance of riparian corridors and riparian habitats in that, in that context. Although spatially these are very small areas for wildlife, they are very important areas. Almost all species depend on these uh, types of habitats during the course of year, during the course of lifetime. Um, that comes through in our models from our just tracking wildlife movements, uh, habitat use. The Greater Yellowstone ecosystem is so big, and your science is saying work here. And, and how does that inform them to say these are the right actions, these are the right places? It is a big area, and, and, and there are many things we could be doing. Uh, but the, the value of doing on-the-ground long-term research helps filter all those choices down to what are the most important areas, what are the most, most important issues. That uh, of the many things you could be doing from what we're seeing from our research and from our analyses, these are the, in particular, are the most important areas. These are in particular the most important issues and actions that you could be taking. There are lots of things we could be doing, and there are lots of good people doing lots of good work. Uh, but to get the most value out of what you're doing and what they are doing, uh, we need the best information to say of, yeah, these are all good things, but some, area, some things you could be doing are more important, more uh, valuable in terms of helping you achieve the goals that you're setting out to achieve. And so of the many things you could be doing, uh, the science we're giving you or providing to you helps you make that choice of what's the, the most important things, what's the best value of, of actions that I could be taking with what I have where do I put all those resources that have the, 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 
the most impact in terms of what we're trying to achieve. What's the importance of partnership given that um, there, are, there are a lot of different conservation organizations and agencies that, that don't have the scientific sort of capacity? And so, so how, do you, how do you feel WCS fits in with those particular organizations to fill that niche? The role of WCS uh, in this, in the Greater Yellowstone and in the Northern Rockies, uh, we're a science-based organization. We do on-the-ground research. Uh, we do that to inform changes in management. Uh, we're not doing science just to do science. Uh, we want to see things happen because of that. Uh, but we don't have the, the ability to manage the forest the way the Forest Service does or uh, the lands of the, the, of the Bureau of Land Management does. Uh, so our role is to develop recommendations and then work with our partners to get that information to them, uh, work with them so that as they are implementing it, that, that they are doing it in the way that uh, is most uh, efficient and uh, effective in trying to achieve the, uh, the changes that, that are coming, the recommendations that are coming from our science that we're, we're seeing. So uh, it, it's a uh, very uh, strong partnership we have with the, the Greater Yellowstone Coalition, with the, the Forest Service, Bureau of Land Management. Uh, they benefit from us doing research and providing that information. We benefit from them from taking the actions that make the changes that actually benefit wildlife. Do you feel like uh, there's um, an important aspect of, of having really good science to help guide decisions when you have a limited amount of money? It's a tough choice, and, and it's one that we ask ourselves uh, all the time when we're developing, uh, uh, you know, our strategy. You know, there's a limited amount of dollars. Uh, is it better to put those into developing information? How much information do you need before you start to take actions? Uh, that's something we develop in, in conversations with our partners. Uh, uh, we could go out there and spend all this money doing lots and lots of research and have no money available then to do actions, and that doesn't get us anywhere. Uh, but doing lots and lots of actions without having that science to inform you also doesn't get you to where you're, you're trying to go in terms of actually benefiting wildlife uh, and conserving the greater Yellowstone. So it's a trade-off, and it's a balance we achieve uh, both through our experience, through our conversations with our partners, basically gets down to the question of, do you have enough information to act? Uh, do you have enough information or confidence in the information we're providing you to, you know, put your money on the table and do these actions on the basis of that uh, with the expectations that you're actually going to see those benefits? So it's um, uh, a calculus that's not really uh, rigorous. It's more more art than science and, and achieving that balance. But uh, I think we do a good job of, of, of balancing that between uh, that uh, you know, goal of doing all the science possible or doing all the actions possible without science. It has to be somewhere in, the, in, in the between those, and uh, with our partners, we try to develop a, a good balance in doing so. Do you feel like climate change or issues of climate change are, are, are catalyzing partnerships with organizations that had, hadn't previously existed? Yes, uh, it's making us think about the system in new ways, um, uh, looking at it um, with uh, a time factor that had not previously been there. We were sort of always assuming, well, things are as they are going, as they are now, or how they will be, and so we can take our actions on the basis of what we see now. 
Uh, with climate change, we're having to incorporate uh, uncertainty uh, since the climate change models do not tell us with certainty what the changes are going to be or where they're going to be, uh, what uh, scale we're likely to see. Uh, that's been a challenge of working with partners who, uh, you know, when they're putting their actions on the table, developing forest management plans, or they want to make sure that they're doing the right thing and their money's being well spent. Uh, climate change adds uncertainty to that, but it also adds a priority and, and uh, an importance to those actions that that otherwise um, was somewhat missing. We have to look at, at the landscape in a greater scale than we had in the previously, uh, that, uh, that actions need to be taken in the context of a larger landscape now because climate change affects the landscape at a large scale. And so we may be doing the right things in certain spots, but if those don't connect to other actions going on in the landscape, uh, then we're not actually achieving what we're trying to achieve in terms of making the system uh, either more robust or resilient to climate change than, uh, than it otherwise would be. And do you feel like uh, the work that, that WCS is doing in, in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem is, is providing the best available information for a, a variety of, of organizations and agencies to, to go out there and take the right actions or take what we know as the right actions currently? One of the, the advantages of working for a non-governmental organization the way the WCS is, is we're not limited by administrative boundaries. Uh, we can work at whatever scale our science is saying that we should be working at. Uh, we're not limited by the park boundary or a state boundary or a forest service boundary. Uh, that makes it sort of unique in this system, that our research spans the scale that it needs to span. Uh, we work with many, many partners in, in doing that uh, that are, in a sense, limited by that, that uh, uh, our research in Grand Teton National Park, uh, we expand, extends beyond Grand Teton National Park, but their biologists can't actually work beyond Grand Teton National Park. In that research, will we then work with the Forest Service or the Bureau of Land Management or others beyond those boundaries and pull those ch- uh, chains or networks of, of organizations and agencies together in a way that, that uh, uh, was missing? So it's an important role for us, and particularly for climate change, it's a necessary role uh, because climate change doesn't honor boundaries. It's, it's affecting the, the most protected area in Grand Teton National Park is the same way as, you know, affecting somewhere on private land. So we can't just say we're in a protected area, therefore we don't have to worry about this threat the way we do about other threats. And uh, the way WCS works spans those boundaries and gives all, all of us and the agencies and our other partners that information at the scale they need so they can see how their actions fit into that larger puzzle and so that uh, what they're doing has the greatest value because it connects then to what others are doing in their part of Greater Yellowstone or their part of the Northern Rockies. Climate change is a new threat. Uh, we have experience in dealing with other threats that we've been dealing with for, for generations. We know what to do in response to those. Uh, we don't need a lot of science in, in many cases to say what the action should be. Uh, I don't need a lot of science to say that subdivisions are a bad thing. We know that. Uh, climate change is pushing us in, in new ways and new directions and in new scales than we need to think about. Uh, we could just go out and start doing things. Uh, and they're all good things. They probably all have good benefits. Uh, but they're likely not going to connect in the way that we need them to connect at the scale we need to, 
to connect to actually uh, mitigate what the climate change effects are going to be. Because it's a new threat, we need, need, we need that information. We need that high science bar, that's high science foundation to direct what we're doing. Uh, we also need to understand to, to, by doing science and what we're doing to see are the actions we're taking actually changing the way we think we want them to change. Uh, that goes back to the monitoring of, of, of these actions. Uh, they're great you're taking actions, but if they're not actually changing the system, changing the situation, uh, you're not doing the improvements that you think you're doing. And so that science lays that foundation too. It gives us that, that connection between actions and reality that science always ties us back to. Uh, that you're not just doing good things and, and therefore you're wonderful, but you're actually doing good things and you're making a difference because you're seeing changes in the landscape because of that. To learn more about the climate change work of the Wildlife Conservation Society, you can find links on the show notes page at wildlandsinc.org slash EOC 154. This episode was produced and hosted by myself, Catherine Dunning. Our theme music is by The Humidors.